Hi, I'm Kelly Harlock. And I'm Sasha Kelly. And you're listening to a special isolation episode, let's say, of That Classical Podcast. So uh, as you might imagine, things are going to be a little bit different today because Sasha and I are not in the same place. We are having this discussion over Google Hangouts. <laughs> it's been, is... oh, it's such a weird setup, Kelly. I've got pillows <laughs> all around me. I've got you she on is my iPad. <laughs> And it's like a wintry scene. I feel like I'm air traffic control at a very high tech okay. podcast studio. That's the vibe yeah, I've got brilliant. going on. Next to your bed. Yes. <laughs> yes, sitting on the Fantastic. floor. <laughs> um, I'm in the spare room, which is obviously where we keep all the um, crap that we don't want to put on display on the rest of the house. So it's great. It's a cozy little space. It's the uh, perfect setup today. for podcasting, isn't it, Kelly? Because really no one can see what you're up to. Exactly, correct. Um, so yeah, I mean, we thought we'd we'd just talk through a couple of our our favorite pieces today instead of doing a full a full on episode. But um, before we do that, Sasha, tell us how's it going? How's it going in isolation? It it's pretty weird, Kelly. I haven't. I went back to work this week after ten days off because I was quite sick. Um, okay. And Sorry. That, I mean, I'm okay now, but. Um, and obviously I had a very mild dose of whatever's going around. Um, Mm -hmm. but I live within walking distance of work, so I'm taking, I'm being very safe. Um, but I'm really glad that we're doing this because for me, music has really helped me through the last couple of weeks of when I've been feeling stressed or when I've been feeling upset, I've been like listening to a lot of music. So I think that's why I've picked my piece today. How about you? How's it been for you? Uh, it's been fine. Yeah, it's been all right. I'm in isolation, but I live with my boyfriend. So at least I have like another person to, you know, struggle through this <laughs> difficult time with uh, and shout at, obviously. Uh, classic. But um, yeah, no, I'm fine. Been drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> Just getting through. You got to self-medicate. Some chairs. However, you can. Right? With some wine, yeah, mm-hmm. and some uh, some crafting as well. You know, just getting through. Might start a cross stitch because that's just who I am. Oh yeah, um, the Instagram has been um, updated with really great yeah. chair um, yeah. upcycling, hasn't it? Really working on that that sweet sweet upcycling. So you know what? I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm okay. I was just but disappointed yeah. it wasn't um, like Schumann or Schubert, like fabric that you were up doing like do you know what I would have absolutely bloody loved a Schubertiard scene uh if I could have found one or maybe just like Mozart's face on a chair (laughs) although you're sitting on a face which always seems a bit wrong it's a little anyway upsetting but you know I I really like that you're being so productive with your isolation time thank you so much but yeah speaking of Mozart uh, what piece are you going to be kicking us off with today yeah that was almost the perfect segue really uh, <laughs> uh it's almost like you didn't know um <laughs> I've picked Ave Verum Corpus by Mozart as my piece why don't I set the scene for you and tell Please. you how it was like so Mozart wrote this piece 17th of June 1791 and That's not so important in the space of history and time, but it is important because Mozart had had a really rotten 10 years. You know, he'd lost, Mm. there'd been a big war that had really affected the economy in Vienna. So a lot of his patrons had withdrawn their support. Um, He just wasn't, he was borrowing heaps of money and getting himself further and further into debt. 
Oh, dear. Yeah, so he wasn't really having a great time. But then his fortune started to change in 1790. Um, the economy was starting to pick up. A couple of patrons came back. And um, his wife was pregnant with a child. So so wait, hold on. By patrons, do you mean people that were like paying him money to write music? Yeah, exactly. Because or... that was basically okay, how the world worked in those days is that wealthy people would like give you a bit of a little... Um, like monthly allowance in the hope that you would like create amazing money. art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well done, Great. Mozart. Like a pat on the head. Here's 50 Great. bucks. Um, go Buy away yourself and something pretty. <laughs> and while you're at it, write another hit. Um, nice. So, yeah, in June 1791, Mozart's wife, Constanza, she left their home in Vienna and travelled to a nearby town called Baden by Vienne, which basically just means Baden by Vienna. Um, and it's a okay. spa town, so it was where a lot of the wealthy Viennese people would go. And by spa town, I literally mean there is, like, these hot springs um, mm. in the mountains that people would go and, like, bathe in them and, you know, mm-hmm. go to the saunas. And mm-hmm. um, it was supposed to be really good for their health. So she done that. Yeah, exactly. So she does a seaweed wrap. (laughs) Oh yeah, and a a couple's massage and you know some hot (laughs) oil rubs, all that kind of jazz. I can just see it now. Yeah, and it would cost you like five hundred pounds for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, and then you would uh, like drink some salty water, or you know how they're always inventing ways that oh, if you drink this, then can't you just feel the antioxidants moving around your body or something like that? Yeah. So. In June 1791, Mozart leaves Vienna and goes to visit her because obviously Constanza had just been like kind of shipped off, like, oh, you're pregnant. Go to Baden by Vienne. Like, go on, off yeah. you go. Drink some water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to you in a couple of months. But basically, he went up towards the end of her pregnancy to visit her and see how she's doing. And he was in a really good mood because he had a couple of new commissions. And then when he arrived there, the church musician, like the head of the musicians at St. Stephen, I think I'm saying that correctly, um, he conducted one of Mozart's masses the year before and was currently preparing to perform another one. And that he became really good friends with Mozart. So as a thank you, I mean, I don't have any friends who do this for me, but just as a like, oh, we're great mates, um, Mozart mm-hmm. wrote this piece for him. It's only like, I think, oh wow, 40 great. something bars and it goes for only a couple of minutes. But I mean, in terms of like pretty good presence, I'd say this is up there, like a masterpiece of the 1700s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way better than like a pair of socks. Yeah, or exactly. Or a like blender. box yeah. of chocolates. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks again for playing one of my pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the background of where we are when Mozart wrote this. But the reason I picked this is because I actually went to Vienna a couple of years ago and I heard this performed in the original church. Um, Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a really special moment. It was a concert. It was the first time I'd seen my brother in over a year. Um, and because he was studying there in Vienna at the time and it was all his like fellow students and they sang it at the conclusion of this concert. And I mean, the hilarious thing was everything was introduced in German and I don't speak German. And Fantastisch. So <laughs> it was a lot of sitting there and being like, mm, I'm sure this is very deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Das ist gut. Das yeah. ist nicht gut, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a very lot of good. sitting there and just being and looking like very intense. 
But I mean, okay. I mean, I'm going on such a cliche tangent here, but isn't that the power of music? It's like it is in German, but it didn't affect no. my enjoyment of the music at all. Of so yeah. I think personally, when I'm having a tough time, which at the moment I think globally everyone's having a bit of a <laughs> mm-hmm. rotten one. Um, so. Yeah, it's nice to listen to music that reminds you of those kind of memories. So that's why I picked this today. And I think like I'd like to share it with everyone. Let's hear it. the piece at all Kelly I do I'm I'm super familiar with that piece because I grew up singing it at school seemingly all the time which is a bit odd uh and then in various other choirs I think it's it's just such a it's the mixture of being a real crowd pleaser and super easy <laughs> to learn so like I feel like a lot of choirs are, are very familiar with that one and it's it's a great it's a great bop my other favorite bit about it is that I think I can say this now because it's a couple of years ago that this happened, but my brother um, said they'd all gone out drinking the night before and were all <laughs> worse for wear. And he said, like, for, you know, like, I think there was like 12 professional singers. He said okay. the quality was like at the first rehearsal was of a level that the head of music was like, what is happening? And (laughs) so he said, ironically, they were, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. (laughs) He was like, ironically, they were um, all the most nervous about this in the performance because they were like, everyone knows it and the significance in the church. But they sounded great on the night, so it was fine. See, that reminds me of when um, this choir I was in got asked to sing at someone's wedding. We got flown out to Switzerland to sing at someone's <laughs> wedding. And we sung in the ceremony and it was beautiful and it was lovely. And then uh, we got invited to the reception at like midnight that night. Um, oh went Obviously went crazy. It was this beautiful, expensive, gorgeous wedding and an amazing reception. Um, got pretty plastered and then we forgot that we had to sing at the brunch (laughs) next morning and all of us were literally we were in the waiting room lying down on every horizontal surface and wondering if we could actually do it and we kind of went out on this patio amidst these beautiful alps um feeling like we were going to vomit but had to perform well that's um, where the saying comes from the show must go on doesn't it the show must go on from drunk musicians (laughs) yeah it's it's sadly i think it's not a rare occurrence (laughs) yeah exactly so i don't really have a lot more to say about that it's only 46 bars which i think is you know a sign not a lot of bars not a lot and (laughs) also a sign of you know Something doesn't have to be huge to be beautiful. It's one of those examples of like a miniature in um, the canon that just says everything it needs to in only a couple of minutes. But yeah, I just think if you're having a bit of a tough time this week and you just need three minutes of just breathing to yourself, then this is the perfect. It's like a little egg timer in itself. That classical podcast. 
So we're keeping things pretty mellow, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, and we're keeping things very, very beautiful. We're going to talk about Otterino Respighi. Oh, I don't know nearly enough about him, actually. So yeah, I'm and really interested. You know what? Right. And we've never once mentioned him, actually, <laughs> on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Um, how is that possible? So I know. I think he's due his own episode, actually. So we should we should definitely do that soon. But... Long story short, he was an Italian composer, an Italian man, uh, who was around uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he's generally considered to be the first Italian composer to introduce really sort of Russian orchestral vibes and colours into Italian music. Because, oh. uh, yeah, because famously he studied music with Rimsky-Korsakov. And he was also, when he was there, he was like the first violinist in the orchestra. He was living that sweet, sweet Russian classical lifestyle. He was probably that guy time. that everyone's like, oh, Otterino, I get, I bet you he's concertmaster again. Exactly, yeah, and everyone actually hated him probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I just wanted to talk about a piece uh, that I've been pretty obsessed with for a couple of months. I have certainly been putting it in all of my like relaxation, calm down playlists and highly suggest that you do the same. So yeah, Respighi, he was Italian. He loved a bit of Rome. Uh, don't we all love a bit of Rome? I mean, the fountain. Oh, so you're actually Colosseum. talking about the city. Like he loved a bit of the city Rome. Oh, yeah, no, he loved the physical <laughs> actuality of Rome. I thought place. this was a new like fancy phrase of like, he loved to roam, but you know, like oh, that I didn't to, like, quite. I wasn't up valleys. with the kids of the the language, <laughs> but I get it. Roaming. He loved the city Rome. Okay, he loved the you. city of Rome. Uh, he loved a bit, you know, loved Russell Crowe, loved the Colosseum, everything about it. And he also loved the decadence and the glamour that this Italian poet, politician, and sorry, fascist, uh, Gabriel D'Annunzio uh, brought to the city in all his works. So Respighi was like, yeah, love a bit of Gabriel, uh, want to celebrate the glory of the Roman Empire. So he celebrated it in the only way he knew how, which was he wrote some sweets. Oh, oh, hella sweets. Yeah. I mean, if uh, I had a dollar for every time I just sat down and wrote out. <laughs> wanted to celebrate the glory of Rome. <laughs> I would yeah. have no dollars, but you know. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he actually wrote a trilogy of sweets uh, about Rome and how much he bloody loved it. So the first one was The Fountains of Rome in 1914. Yes. Then he wrote The Pines of Rome in 1923. And finally, Roman Festivals, or I guess The Festivals of Rome uh, in 1929. But today we're going to talk about those sweet, sweet Roman pines, The Pines of Rome. So uh, this piece is four movements without any gaps, which I love because there are no awkward pauses where no one knows what to do, including me, because I just want to applaud everyone for doing such a great job. So the first movement is the pines of the Villa Borghese. And this one evokes like little kids playing in pine groves, which is super cute. Then the next movement is the pines near a catacomb. So lots of somber strings, like a bit darker. Then the third one is the pines of Janiculum which depicts nightingales tweeting serenely over a moonlit scene. Ooh. Gorgeous. Uh, and then finally, the Pines of Appian Way, which is... It's this whole lot of pines. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, about, that's like... Yeah. I didn't realize there were that many different types it's of pines. So I thought there pines. was just like Christmas oh, tree pine, other regular pines. There's many, many pines. Okay. But um, yeah, this last this last movement is about the Roman army marching into the city with all these trumpet fanfares and it's pretty intense. So all of these evoke essentially just ancient scenes and events in Roman life. 
So it's really dreamy and it's it's specifically like a historical look at Rome rather than like a, a modern one. Okay, so it wasn't a um, current up-to-date kind of thing. No, it was not. A <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't an up-to-date look um, at, at the city of Rome. So I wanted to talk about the lovely third movement, the Pines of the Janiculum, which, as I said, depicts this kind of moonlit scene and uh, a nightingale. But not only that, it has a specific recording of a nightingale played at the end of the movement. And it's the same recording that's accompanied every single piece since its premiere in 1924. And I think Respighi recorded it himself. And it's genuinely just this bird tweeting. And it's it's really beautiful, like, over the end of the piece. But it was super controversial at the time because I think he literally played it on a gramophone. That's like, amazing. That is Isn't that so insane? cool. I had no yeah, idea. And, yeah, me neither. And, and I definitely feel like I've seen this piece being played and I... I just no idea. Obviously shows how much attention right. I've been paying. No, <laughs> like, oh, there's a bird. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. casual bird. Who let the um, bird in the concert hall? Ugh, not me. It's, it's, it's really, it's really amazing, isn't it? He like revolutionized this, this kind of blending of old and new. And I think people at the time were like, why couldn't he have made a, a nightingale sound with a flute like that? And people were angry about him bringing like technology into um, the concert hall. But yeah, it was basically the first orchestral piece to incorporate electronic sounds. Isn't that amazing? That's so cool. Yeah. So, and he said about it, he was like, I simply realized that no combination of wind instruments could quite counterfeit the real bird's song, which, yeah, fair enough, Respighi. Like, I respect that. I mean, he's Um, only dissing his own talent there, really, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He was like, "Mm, I'm not quite good enough to pull this off. Fair enough. So I'm not actually going, sorry, I'm not actually going to play the Nightingale portion um, because, but like, please go and go and um, head to our Spotify playlist to, to hear that. But I wanted to just play the beginning, which just sets the most beautiful, calming, gorgeous moonlit scene um, with all these like really just yummy, yummy chords. Um, let's, let's take a listen. Isn't that just gorgeous? Yeah, I was just thinking my association with Respighi is the birds and also like a lot of really bombastic music that's quite brass, fanfare-y, which I wasn't really in the mood for. So that is stunning. (laughs) Absolutely stunning. Isn't it? Yeah. like absolutely beautiful and I totally agree with you the birds is like overplayed um as we know uh but also it's like yeah I'm I my experience of Respighi before a couple of months ago was always that like cheery chirpy like jolly bombastic vibe yeah and so that's why when I found these actually this whole trilogy of sweets I was like this is really special and it sounds so it sounds so modern. It sounds contemporary. It's like oh, something that could be written tomorrow and you would, and it, it would 
sound normal. Yeah, <laughs> so it wouldn't I be out thought, of place in a concert hall today. From definitely a, not. Yeah, from a like and, neoclassical modern composer. Yeah, and and very um very cinematic. Absolutely. As well, I thought. Yeah. So yeah, oh, what a treat. I just, I'm gonna go listen to the whole thing. That's just oh, so calming. Do. That whole piece is just gorgeous. And then at the end, when the nightingale comes in, you're like, oh, there's a bird here. <laughs> okay, fine. But also really cool. And I really hope that it is the same recording that's been used since 1924. I mean, that would be pretty in- insane if it was, because it sounds very crystal clear. So maybe it's not. <laughs> but I think for, for a very long time, at least in the concert hall, maybe not in recordings, but in the concert mm. hall, it was always this same recording of the nightingale. And, you know, how fascinating that it started on a, a phonograph and then it probably went to, I don't know, like a like a normal record player and then a tape and now it's probably on CD or now it's on MP3. Like, who knows? But it's like stood the test of time. And I just think mixing orchestral music with electronic music is something that's now the norm. But actually it was Raspighi who really pioneered it. Yeah, and it must have been so kooky at the time. Can you imagine this guy rolling in with a gramophone player? Yeah. <laughs> which people wouldn't probably have had many of anyway. Oh yeah, did I say a phonograph? What's oh, a phonograph? Yeah, well, I don't, I, I mean, I've got to say for someone who works <laughs> in audio, us. I do not know much about the origins of audio at all. Oh God, I should probably check that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that that was the third movement of the Pines of Rome. Please go and listen. Um, and and tell us your thoughts. That classical podcast. So that's it for our mini episode today. Uh, we'd love to hear whether you've enjoyed this and you want to hear more of these little mini episodes while we're all in <laughs> isolation. If you do, yep. send us an email at thatclassicalemail at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on all our socials. Um, remind me what the addresses are for them again, Kelly, please. <laughs> so uh, we've got on Instagram, we're at That Classical Insta. Twitter, we're at That Classical. We're on Facebook, if you just search That Classical Podcast. Uh, and we're on Spotify, if you want to listen to the pieces that we've mentioned today and all of the pieces we've ever mentioned <laughs> since the very beginning, uh, just head to Spotify and, and look for That Classical Podcast. Um, and yeah, I, I think also... We would love to know what you're listening to to get you through this rather difficult, bizarre time. So please do drop us a line. We'd we'd really love to hear from you. But yeah, until next time. Until um, next time, Kelly. I'll see you in person, yeah. hopefully sometime soon. But until I then. I hope so. And, and everyone, stay safe. and Wash those yeah. hands. <laughs> Wash those hands and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.